I'm Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult. We're two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. We did it. Hello. Hi. We're in the same place. We're in the same room, even. I can I can look over my shoulder at you. Yeah. 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 yeah sorry for the audio being weird because I turned my head. <laughs> We did it. We did it. We're we in did the same it. Place. We're in the same place at the same time. We crossed. Well, I crossed an ocean to get here. I know. I know. I have Blanche under my desk. This is this is a good this life. This is good. Yeah, we've been just hanging out for two weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I came here. I was like, oh, we'll get so much done. And then I was like, I brought coffee and vibes. You know, the Pisces Taurus axis just means that we just like chill. Yeah. We haven't even been stoned. We've just been just hanging. We've just been chilling. Which is like super nice. We, so when Kieran got here, we were having the CREGE Coalition for Responsible Home Education annual fundraiser party at my house. And that was really great. Thank you, everyone who came. It was so fun to see everybody. I mean, it's the first big party we'd had at the house since I moved here. And it was like, all my friends came and it was like, so nice to see people. It was so nice. <laughs> so many people from so many different lives showed up. It was wonderful. But of course, having that big push right at the start of your visit meant that like, we were just exhausted afterward. And then we were tired and had to recover because we are old. Mm-hmm. That happened. We got old suddenly and now it's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, we did a party and now our bodies need like a week and a half to like stabilize Chill again. <laughs> But here we are, and um, yeah, I I hope that recording in the same place is not going to make Dave's life really difficult in editing this, but we'll, We're we'll trying. find out. Yeah. We're trying very hard not to interrupt each other, so <laughs> the audio doesn't overlap. Which, you know, normally we don't try so hard, and also the ADHD mm-hmm. overlapping is real, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we realized we'd, we'd been here this whole time and I'm leaving in like four days and we haven't done a podcast. So now we're doing a podcast. Sorry. <laughs> My roommate was like, you guys have been bad. And I was like, well, no, we just no. haven't done it. Yeah. We just had to, we had to wait for it to like fully come to itself. And now uh, what we wanted to talk about was like the documentary that came out that we alluded to in the last podcast like a month ago and we weren't sure if we could say what it was the only reason that i've been so tired is because i've been working on you know i've got my my day job and then like any freelancing i do has to happen after and there's been like a lot of back and forth on um, a couple different pieces that i've written as follow-ups to the documentary and so that's been a lot of brain power but also like the response has just been overwhelming so i guess let's start at the beginning it's on amazon prime it's called shiny happy people i'm in it with a bunch of other folks in case anybody uh who is my mother is listening and we can make this extra clear i did not grow up in iblp she did not find that sufficiently clear and you know i know it said on my on all the tags like xiblp if they were and i was not and mine didn't say that but like let's just be clear uh yeah but i was in it i filmed f- like a year and a half ago yeah two different sections and had a real tight nda so was keeping that under wraps for a long time and um yeah what did you think you when you watched it 
Um, I thought it was done really well. I was impressed. It's by the same people who did Lula Rich, which was also very good. It's always interesting when you see these things and it's like produced from someone from the outside, right? And mm-hmm. they can get it like the Jerry Falwell documentary. Like they can get it so wrong and, and miss a lot. The pool boy one. Yeah, the one that was on Hulu. Yeah. But um, Lula Rich and Shiny Happy People are both done super, super well. I feel like they were really respectful to people telling their stories and did a really good linking everything together into a very like cohesive, understandable narrative. Um, they had some friends of the pod on there. Kristen Dumay was in there and I was like, I love her. She's great. We know her. She was on my podcast. I have her book. I read it on a train with Nazis beside me. It was a whole thing. <laughs> I forgot about that. It was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I thought they handled it really well. There was obviously like a lot that they couldn't fit in. Like the fourth episode really got into the sort of like larger picture. And that's when they had uh, Alex Harris on to talk about like sort of the generation Joshua generation. The Joshua generation yeah. of homeschoolers who were designed to go and take over the world, which is something that. I wrote about in 2017 um, that kind of started this whole podcast because people kept asking me about it over and over and over and over again. (laughs) So you're welcome. Um, (laughs) But that was like the last episode. So they didn't really get to go into that in detail. So I'm hoping, and this is something that y'all can do, I'm hoping they'll do a second season because they have that content. Yeah, let me me like give a little more context on this. So when I was approached, the show was pitched as political implications of the Quiverful movement and Christian dominionism. And I think the Duggar story was already going to be part of that, but it was not going to be the center. And it became the center as they, I I don't know, Amazon was trying to strategize about how to solve this. So like it got, there was like a first round of filming and then a bunch of us got called back to do a second round of filming to get some more in-depth stuff and so they have like at least like 16 hours of footage of me Mm -hmm. (laughs) talking about various things so when Karen says they have the material like they have a lot more than made it into this four episode arc there's a lot that had to get cut there's a lot that was like moved around to accommodate the the Duggar through line but like in terms of the larger picture, I know that they did a lot of work, a lot of really good research into the, you know, broader implications of this, the Joshua generation stuff and team pact and Gen J and all that, like was not overlooked in terms of like what was collected originally. So what we've been told is, you know, go and get your friends and tell them to go comment on prime social media you know, asking for season two, being like, where is season two? We want season two. I, I I feel like that may be overkill at this point because we've been number one for about two weeks. Right, yeah. Which, but you know, more, more emphasis on it. But also like, holy shit. It's unheard of, actually. Prime, Prime has never had a docu, docu-series like get this much attention or, or this many views. Like this is the biggest docu-series they've ever put out. And that's that response is like obviously like really cool and encouraging and it's resonating clearly. Yeah. And also like, didn't it fall out of first place and then go back up? 
which is also like unheard of a couple times yeah yeah this is a big deal and if you want season two just go at them on whatever platform instagram twitter facebook i don't know youtube wherever it is that prime has social media go be like season two please thank you Mm -hmm. yeah holy shit it's it's also been i mean we've talked about this before but and I talked about this on, um, I was on Bridget Todd's, there are no girls on the internet podcast this week. And I spoke about this a little there, but just like when I go viral for writing something about these things, and it's not even like big viral, like small scale, low, lowercase <laughs> viral. I haven't had to upgrade your hosting plan yet. Yeah, we haven't done that since prom gate. But uh, I usually get hate mail I usually get a bunch of like DMs on Facebook and IG and Twitter being like you know go flush yourself kind of stuff I've had some like more serious threats like but this time I haven't gotten anything it's all been positive and I don't know what the the reason for that is if it's just like the way the story is told and the way like my piece is such a small part of the larger documentary but like it's been really cool. It's been a really positive response. Like everybody has been so kind and now everybody gets my, I was raised in a cult jokes and like knows I'm not like finally exaggerating. Yeah. <laughs> finally people. It's so nice. Like I'm going to send this to my therapist when I get back and have her watch it because it's so nice to have something besides the Duggars to point to and then have to explain how that's bad. It's like, here, go watch this. It's the Duggars and also explains why it's bad. And also now you understand. Like, because mm-hmm. my parents weren't IBLP either. They wanted to be their own. They they wanted to choose like our modesty rules and whatever, but they still adopted the, you know, umbrella of protection and all of that like very similar ideology that is so pervasive. Well, and I think one of the things that's that is like, both shown a little bit in the doc and maybe not gotten into enough is just like Gothard and his materials have been around since like the late fifties. Like he's Mm -hmm. been around a long time. He's been putting out this stuff for a long time. So a lot of the like moral majority folks like were influenced by him in their early days. And so like a lot of this, like, you know, you didn't have to be an IBLP to have your life affected by Gothard's teachings. And I think that's really what's like, Kristen Dume talked about this in the uh, after show YouTube live with Prime um, the other night. Like she wasn't going to include Gothard in Jesus and John Wayne. And then like people kept saying you have to. And she like started looking into his influence and realized that he was like far more influential than she realized. And I think a lot of people I've had a lot of people DM me and be like, I grew up in like X sector. So like, I didn't think this had anything to do with me and I was watching it. And then I realized that like that, like workbook page was like in my premarital counseling or like some, you know, so you, people are surprised where it pops up and it's, it's far more insidious. It is really surprising. Like I remember early on when like in like, I don't know, like 2010 or so I was applying for jobs at like Michael's or Target. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember which one it was, but part of the application was filling out like literally something from the wisdom booklet. And Wait, I was what? like, I have, yeah. yeah, like I have seen this before. It was like, you know, stealing is bad and like, like this, like all these like morals and stuff and like, you know, drugs bad, all that. But it was like, I had seen that before like that was I and I wrote down in my um, application which I obviously didn't get the job but I was like (laughs) this is from a cult like 
this is this is this is a Christian cult material. Like, no, this is bullshit. And it wasn't even Hobby Lobby. It wasn't even Hobby Lobby. It was it was like a mainstream store to try to like guilt you into not you know doing employee wage theft or whatever. Like, you, you don't steal from the people who are stealing your time and money from you. So yeah, it was it was a whole thing, and I was just shocked because I was like, what? Like this. It wasn't Hobby Lobby. And I was like, I don't understand why this like mainstream, like fairly like liberal company is giving me like shit from the wisdom booklet as part of their application process. Or at least like politically neutral. Right. Right, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it was, you know, it wasn't Hobby Lobby. It was one of the ones that was like, oh, you know, they have pride stuff. So they're bad. Mm hmm. So like it 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 shows up everywhere. Like it's it shows up everywhere, and that's a lot of what I've been seeing in the reactions too. Is people looking at this and realizing, I had that too, but I didn't know it was a Bill Gothard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 a big deal, and I think it's you know the the impact uh, is easy to underestimate. And again, like this is why we are always like the conspiracy is real conspiracy is real it actually was an actual conspiracy and it's everywhere yeah i hate being right all the time yeah i guess <laughs> i would like to stop being right all the time please <laughs> uh, we keep trying to do podcast planning and be like we wish we could quit not because we like don't like hanging out with y'all but it's because we would love this to be irrelevant and we keep like hoping it'll become irrelevant for one reason or another and it's just it doesn't not. work out no people keep voting terribly and like <laughs> listening to the wrong stuff and it's like mm. but and then and then having questions about why things are the way they are and i'm like we've we've all been saying mm-hmm. we've all been saying this whole time yeah so but speaking of like things we've been saying speaking of things we've been saying Something that we've been talking about lately casually is just like how telling our own stories have changed. Oh, like yeah. I'm working on writing a memoir. I'm in the very early, 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 early stages. Eve is much further along. I'm rewriting my book proposal, uh, finishing revisions on it. I'm just like the continuing ev- evolution of that. And like, yeah, we've been talking a lot about how our stories have changed over the years, not just like the facts have stayed the same, but like how we tell it to other people and how we tell it to ourselves. And like, we all like make sense Mm -hmm. of our lives through narrative. We are like really prone to that as humans. It's like one of our defining things is we, we seek to generate narratives out of things that we see. We want to find patterns. I mean, this is why conspiracy theories are, popular recording okay we're we're trying this again yeah i mean the joan didion quote of we tell ourselves stories in order to live like this is an impulse that we have and so as a an adhd pattern seeking individual (laughs) i pay attention to how these things like shift and it's really interesting watching people who've deconstructed change our narratives and like as I've been working on the book for forever in various forms like having the narrative shift over time has just been really 
fascinating to like go back through old drafts and like be like, oh yes, I was telling it this way because of this thing. And like, maybe I don't feel the, so compelled to do it that way anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me going back in like, I think it was, it was like in the last episode or a couple episodes ago, we referenced um, No Longer Quivering and how I had written a piece there that was like detailed my life up until that point and how I escaped and how I got out. And like that was in 2010 and now we're in 2023 and I would tell that story a lot differently now because I've grown a lot and I understand more about where I was and why I felt the way that I did. So what's changed? Everything and nothing. <laughs> yeah. This is like what, what and why. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, I came out as queer and bi. I mean, I guess that's the same thing, but I came out, I came out as bi and agnostic and non-binary in 2013, like the same year within like six months of each other. Yeah. Which was three years after writing that piece. And I, it was just sort of one of those things where it was like, I f- had finally found the language to describe my internal experience and after i had the language to describe my internal experience i could look over my past and see like all of the flashing neon signs that said kieran you're fucking trans (laughs) (laughs) like did you know did you know and so so that that has changed a lot just like a better understanding of who i am as a person and how that didn't match what i was trying to be and what i thought i was and like that internal pain was so great and now that i understand that i can tell that story story better while holding like that piece of myself and seeing that piece of myself and like just having like a more whole picture of who i was um in the original writing there was so much missing because i just didn't i wasn't at a place where i understood myself i didn't even know who i was like i was just telling basically like the timeline like you knew what had happened to you, but you hadn't quite figured out like who the you was that it had happened to. Exactly. Yeah. And so now, like I, earlier this year, I met with two German PhD students who are doing their thesis on like the Quiverful movement and IBLP and like the mm-hmm. impact that it's had in Christian dominionism. And they were like, wow, you tell your story so well. I'm like, I mean, I do this semi-professionally. I practice a lot. I have done this for quite some time. I know how to give the explanations because I have thought through this quite a bit. Not not that like your story has changed in terms of like authenticity. It's more you've, you also, you know yourself better and you know your audience better Mm -hmm. and you know what people need to hear, what they need to take away from it and like how to like shape it so that they pay attention to yes. the important things yes yes through trial and error i have learned not to tell the story of my family trying to butcher pigs at a party uh <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, a like... whole learning curve well there's there's a, like a dynamic of when you first get out like telling your story you are trying to get validation for the pain you're feeling mm-hmm. and not throw anyone under the bus right you're trying to understand like why you feel this way. And so a lot of it is like, like getting external validation that what you are experiencing is not only real, but legitimate. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of that, like confirm my emotions are valid for me. Right. Seeking. And then the more comfortable you are with identifying the things that you experience, maybe like there'll be a phase of like getting really angry about, the abuse or the educational neglect Mm -hmm. or 
you know, my mom didn't protect me from these things. Yeah. And then, you know, after that, it kind of, you can get to a place where you've like accepted that this is your story and you didn't want it to be your story, but it is. And now you're like figuring out how to like make something going forward Mm -hmm. that you feel good about living with. Yeah. That's the point where I feel like you get a lot of folks online who are deconstructing who will like do it very publicly and like blog about it or, you know, do TikToks or videos or whatever. And like once they get through that anger phase and like, you know, accept that like this story is their story and you can't really change that. um, That's when they drop off and like find hobbies. Yeah. (laughs) Which is great. That's kind of that's kind of the phase that I'm in right now. I mean, moving helped a lot, but like. For, you know, from like 2010 to 2015, I was writing constantly, processing everything, like deconstructing, trying to figure out like what I believed, how I felt about faith, how I felt about like other faiths, like where, what I felt about spirituality, how I felt about myself and my sexuality and my gender identity and like being married and like realizing that I'd never experience like relationships with more than one person before and then figuring out that I'm polyamorous actually and like just going through all this and there was so much anger because like for for good fucking reason there was so much anger and I just like had to like write through that because writing is how I kind of like harness that and telling that story and like getting it like it it's a very somatic experience for me it's a digestion process yes it is. Yeah. And it's like, I literally felt all of those feelings like in, in my veins and in my body. And the only way to get it out was to write it down. It was at that point that my body could like regulate itself. And so it's been this whole process. And now I'm in a place where I like, I'm still like that, that anger is still there, but it's not as intense. It's just like, that was wrong. And that was fucked up. And when I feel that way, I know that like, this is a part of me that is still hurting. That is still like that age. Cause I do um, internal family systems and therapy with like somatic methods. Mm-hmm. And that is very helpful for me. And so it's like, I find that, that part of myself and I just like sit with them and we have that conversation and I bring them into like the present where I'm free and I'm okay. And I like imagine like one of the things that I've been imagining recently in this practice is like taking, cause I'm a Pisces. So it takes place in an ocean. Mm-hmm. And so it's like putting all of those feelings and like fears and anxieties in those teachings that like I know in my core are wrong that I've just like been carrying with myself for so long and just like making a really heavy fucking like millstone out of it and throwing it into the ocean and that has perhaps been perhaps an ocean gate submersible <laughs> yeah, named titan and it implodes too soon. <laughs> too soon but no and so i just throw it into the ocean and it just like sinks down into the abyss and that has been like the sort of imaginative process that has been working for me lately when i like come back to having these feelings because it doesn't like the first question I get asked when I talk to like a new therapist or a psychiatrist is like do you think that like you'll ever be healed from PTSD or whatever and I'm like mm, not like I don't think it's something that's curable mm-hmm. like I can't just like you know 
like it will just not be there one day. Like it will always be a part of me, but I'll be better at managing it. And it will always be part of my story. But that's like, now I kind of see it as like, this is how I care for myself. This is like, this is a part of me saying that like something needs attention mm-hmm. and I can give myself what I needed then, but couldn't get. And so it's like an invitation for more healing. And I don't know that I will ever be completely healed, but I will be more healed than before, which is better. I I think for me, like there was, there's this moment when I was newly divorced living in LA and I was living with this 86 year old uh, Indian woman who uh, had become a friend and was like letting me squat in her spare bedroom while I found permanent housing for a minute. And she just kind of looked at me and she was like, you need to go someplace where your backstory is boring. Yes. So you can get all this and put it in perspective. Um, which was really smart because like one of the things like the, it's a double-edged sword of like, I need to get validation for what happened to me. I need to get like, you know, to, feel secure in saying this was abuse, this was wrong, this was neglect. I, you know, deserved protection and an open future and opportunities and like support and care and like all these things. But because of like specifically the context in which that all happened, it like it's catnip for normies to be like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, weird story. And so they like creates this weird feedback loop of like, you get attention for the wrong reason rather than being able to like get the validation and then be able to like close that box and like take a step back and be able to like look at yourself like, okay, who am I outside of this context? Like, yes, this is my story, but like it's a chapter and like life is long. (laughs) So one of the things that like, I feel like Peace Corps really did for me is like provided a like detachment where I could like exist in a universe where none of this like mattered or existed or needed to like be relevant to anything. And I could figure out like who I was outside of that context and outside of that story. And that was like really useful and like allowed me to like digest a lot of that anger and grief in a way that like wasn't creating a a feedback loop of like me getting like friendships and community and validation out of this like little internal tornado. Mm-hmm. And so then that like allow, I feel like that allowed me to, because it was after Peace Corps that I joined CRHE and I felt like I had the ability to focus on the activism without needing it to be like out of a place of personal pain. Right. So I wasn't doing it. I'm not doing it for like my childhood self needing protections, although that's like absolutely part of the story, but I'm doing it so that future generations do not experience this. And that's the, that's the context and that's the motivations that gives me, it's a much more durable platform, like foundation Mm -hmm. to do this work from because it won't like collapse. If I get, you know, personally rejected by someone being like, your story's not real. Right. My, you know, someone can be coming back and actually apologizing for all the things they did. Like, you know, I won't get thrown into a tailspin. Yeah. I think my therapist likes to call that like coming from self, which is like when you are at peace and whole and like at your best 
and your calmest. And it's just like coming from there instead of coming from trauma. Right. Right. And so being able to like, you know, the retelling of my story in all these like evolutions, like I don't need to tell this part of my story in many contexts, but then when I do, like I can do it from a place of like, I'm not trying to get a certain kind of attention. I'm trying to get for me Mm -hmm. or I'm not trying to get validation. I know my story. I know what happened and I don't need anyone to confirm for me that this was bad or, you know, like I know I am comfortable owning these parts of it now. Right. And going forward, it's if I'm reaching out from this part of my story to get people's attention, it's stuff that I am showing someone for the purpose of engaging them in partnership, in advocacy work or, you know, engaging them to educate them about something there's like, there's an ask, there's a goal, there's a context. Like I am like letting you into this, not for personal validation or for um, confirmation that this was bad. Or like, I don't have like an, an emotional need that needs to be fulfilled in this. It's much more detached and pragmatic. And that frees me up to participate in things like the documentary and have it be something that feels safe because I'm doing it out of a place of education, not any, any place of like getting back at anyone or, you know, proving something. Right. Which like, I want to also be very clear that like telling your story for like, because you need validation and things like that, that is valid and part of the healing process. So like, don't feel like you're bad if like you're in that stage of like early Mm-hmm. early processing and early deconstruction and telling your story because like you need to be you need that reflection because that is necessary that is a huge part of the healing process so like we've all been there we've all done it don't feel bad about it it is important and good but eventually you get to the point after going through that process where you can tell your story in a way that like it doesn't send you into a whole like day or multi-day spiral of reliving your trauma like you will you will get past that eventually yeah it's i mean the goal is not to not need other people or not need validation the goal is to like get yourself to a place where like talking about it does not send you into a like recovery derailment you know i there like this conversation is not like new or specific to deconstruction like this conversation like is often happens in uh trauma recovery circles and especially in terms of like domestic violence and sexual violence and you have that conversation of survivor versus victim like what Mm -hmm. do you know and some people really strongly at certain phases in their journey really strongly identify with one or the other and like we'll have really like intense like reasons for it and like feel very like you know, Tumblr 2013 style, like black and white about it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just, it's important to remember that like everything and nothing changes. Like <laughs> you as a person are the same things you like experienced and who you are and what you value me may shift, but like that, like how you interpret it and how you like aim it at what you want for yourself is what changes. And that's really okay. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know. I think my participation in the documentary would have looked very, very different if I'd been doing it in 2014 or something. Oh, for sure. Oh, and this is part of why, I mean, we talked about this a little bit with, with Ginger's book, but like, this is why I'm like, I've been so slow about writing a book. I've had agents reach out and like people be excited about this story for a long time for various reasons. And like, there's different books that I could have written at different phases in this process, but I don't think I would have been proud of any of them Mm -hmm. because they were, it would have been re-traumatizing to put it out because I would have needed something from them. I would need have needed some kind of validation or some sort of absolution or some sort of like satisfaction. And because I've built a life for myself where I can provide those things for myself without having put out a book. Now I can write a book that like is actually for other people, not just right. me. Right. Yeah. Which I think is, is kind of a key difference. Um, at least, at least an approach where it's like, this is something that I'm putting out to use my story to help other people see themselves rather than using my story to like, process my story and to like understand myself two different two very different things two very valid things but two very different things and very different in the way that you approach them which is why I blocked for like years and years and years about my journey out and now I'm like slowly over the course of the next decade like writing a book about it because I'm still living my life and I know that like you know five years from now I'm gonna be like Oh, that was cute. 32 year old Kieran, you're adorable. <laughs> you didn't know this thing. All the versions of myself that were writing, you know, as I was figuring things out was the writing was part of the process. It was external processing, again, ADHD stuff. Like mm-hmm. it was, I have to see what is on the page before I know what I think yes. and see how these things connect and like, feel how it feels in my body to say these things out loud. And that's not, that's not writing something for other people. That's not something that is like memoir. There was like a whole Mm -hmm. phase of my writing journey where it would be like, I would send something to a friend and be like, is this for me? Or is this like a thing? Like in the question was about like, is this like me writing for therapy or is this something that like can have value for an external audience? And I think that, if I have to ask, the, the answer is, <laughs> you know, the me. answer. And I've learned that now, but I didn't then. Um, right. But yeah, like now this is, this is for, and I, I'm also le- a lot less black and white about things now. So the book I would have written before would have been like how to get out based off right. of like where I was at that time. And like, it would have been very prescriptive and like, that's just not how life is. No. <laughs> and I've learned that. You, it, it takes a really long time to detox the, the fundam, inner fundamentalist. It really does. Like there are days where like I'll wake up and I'll just feel like a little bit like I woke up wrong. Like there's something, something bothering me. And after I stop ignoring it and take the time to really investigate it, I'm like, there's a little bit of fundamentalism, like still clacking around. Like, you know, 14 years later, there's still like a little bit of like this weird part of an ingrained belief that like I know is incorrect, but is still like, fueling some of my feelings and some of my ways of interpreting things that I'm doing like 
God damn it. I thought I had like gone through this already. Like I thought I'd process this, but no, I did not finish. It's still, it needs another round of figuring shit out. Instead of uh, there's someone wrong on the internet. There's someone wrong in my head. Yes, exactly. It's like, no, there's somebody, there's something, something wrong in my psyche right now. And it's just like, why, why is this activating you? And it's like, what is the underlying belief here? And it's still... It's an ongoing process. I see some things that I saw a lot early on when we were all very, very early in our journeys out, like our cohort specifically, Mm -hmm. and like none of us had really like gone to therapy is being frustrated that like as we're doing like our own therapy and our own processing that like we things we thought we figured out came back again like a year later. (laughs) And it's like, why am I never going to be done healing? And that's when I realized like, this process is cyclical. Like for me, what I have realized is there are kind of like cycles of things that are based on like events. And so the first like couple year cycle of my processing was dealing with like my mom's stillbirths. Mm -hmm. And then the next kind of level of my processing for the last like, I don't know, four or five years has been centered on this memory of my parents just like berating me for three hours in front of my now ex-wife and like just coming back to like all of like the bits and pieces that are like traumatized from that experience all of the messages that I got from that experience about how I'm a bad person how I'm irresponsible how I'm like never going to be anything I'm like doomed to hell just for existing like and so this is stuff like I've, I've, you know, I've thought I've dealt with over and over and over again, and it keeps coming back up. And the, and this memory is the memory that keeps coming up in therapy. And I'm just like, can I move on to like a different memory, please? Like, mm. I'm tired of this one. Can please just give me a different one? Thank you. <laughs> I'm bored now. I mean, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a lot of work, and yeah, these things do come back in seasons. Like, I don't know, like we. <laughs> Again, we're pattern-seeking individuals and we're also like we exist in seasons and like the universe of uh, technology with indoor lighting and the internet has like detached us from a lot of these like cyclical seasonal things. Mm -hmm. But like our bodies are rhythmic and we are we process things as they come back, you know, trauma anniversaries like in your body, like it'll it'll bring up stuff like and They'll be like, okay, you like cleared one element of the like shame cycle that was happening in response to this one thing that happened then. But like then you'll like find yourself in a position where you're like coming at the the trauma situation from a different angle and re-experiencing some like other element of it. And you just like they're the you got to keep taking inventory because it's I mean, I someone asked me recently if like I considered complex PTSD to be a chronic illness. And I was like, yes, yes, 100%. Yeah. I think you can like really resolve specific traumas, but I don't think that complex PTSD is something that you can discharge. No, like it's, you just get better at managing. It's like, it's like in Scott Pilgrim versus the world with the seven evil exes, but the seven evil exes are all of your trauma. And at the end, the boss battle is like you, but like, you still have to keep doing it. Like it doesn't, there's more evil access. Yeah. They just keep showing up. It's really rude. Like we said earlier, it's like about like your your rebound time period, like when you get triggered, like it's about reducing that and like being able to come back faster from it. And like, mm-hmm. like it's, you will probably like get to a point where things will not bother you that used to really bother you. And like, 
in some respects, like heal specific triggers. Right. But the, like the collection of cells in your head is not going to like disappear. Yeah, no, it's, it's a lifelong work, I think. And that's okay. And I like, I feel like that, like it, it makes, like, it's not a bad thing. Like it's a bad thing that those things happen to you, but like, that you are constantly kind of working through and healing yourself and finding like your truest self and meeting your needs. Like that makes you stronger and more capable and more empathetic as a person. Cause you are forced to like deal with that if you want to grow. Mm-hmm. And that makes you way more understanding and compassionate to other people. And that also like by doing that work and by like that kind of, radical self-acceptance you then give other people permission to start that work for themselves Mm -hmm. which heals everybody so Mm -hmm. it's it's bad but it's good (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah the last thing i want to show is that today is the 23rd i don't know how fast this is going to come out but crhe is doing our end of the year fundraiser our, our financial year ends um, July third, sorry, June thirtieth, and we are, you know, continuing to ask that people make them, you know, become monthly donors, because then we can project, you know, what kind of salaries we're going to be able to offer our very few paid individuals who are helping keep this work going. So, yeah, if you're not a monthly donor, go give five dollars a month to CREG protect homeschool kids it's good important work and we're the only only people doing this right now so uh it's responsible homeschooling.org slash donate go there do the thing if you do that you should let us know on instagram or mastodon or slack or patreon or whatever Mm -hmm. and we will give you gold stars We'll give you a little shout out or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like if it's a matter of like choosing between like being a patron to Kitchen Table Cult and wanting to stay in the Slack or whatever, like just let us know. Like if you choose to support CREG over us, like great, do it. We'll keep you in house and like mm-hmm. figure it out. Thank you. Thanks for listening. All right. We'll we'll be back with more of you soon. <laughs> Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Cult podcast. Our music is from the track Janet by the Bend the Heavens on their album Stenazzo. Our producer is Dave the Great. Our podcast is made possible by Patreon donations from listeners like you. To support us and join our community on Slack, check out patreon.com slash kitchen table cult pod. Thanks for listening.